Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number five. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we're going to be talking about do the presidents, the political parties, the makeup of the Senate, the House, whether you have all three, whether you have two out of three, who controls what branch of Congress, does any of that actually matter when it comes to the market returns? And so, look, there's a lot of talk right now. We've got the midterm elections coming up. There's a lot of talk about whether or not uh, Democrats are going to win back the House, whether Republicans will keep the House, the Senate, uh, what's going on there. Uh, but I can tell you that during the 2008, uh, 2008, God, 2016, 2016 uh, presidential election cycle, you know, I was going out and giving talks in different parts of the country, and it was really interesting Sometimes a crowd would say, look, if so-and-so gets elected, don't you think the market's going to crash? And if so, how bad? And then I would be in, a, in another city and the same question would come up and they'd say, hey, if so-and-so gets elected, don't you think the market's going to crash? How bad could it get? And the fact that I was getting that question from both sides who thought the other side would result in something really bad uh, tells me that, you know, it's... Uh, maybe it wasn't likely to happen at all, right? So one of the things I wanted to do is go back and take a look at various presidents. And I can only go back, look, I went back about 96 years in history. But I was also curious about the makeup of the House, the Senate. What were the average annual returns when you had all Republicans, all Democrats, or some mix? And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. And I think it's kind of interesting the answer, the quick answer to the question, do presidents really matter when it comes to stock and market returns? Do, does one party holding all, you know, the president, the Senate, the House, uh, does it really matter? And the quin quick answer is maybe not, maybe not at all. So here's the way I did this. And some of you might say, oh, wait a second, you didn't do this exactly right. This was a little bit of work. And so uh, what I did was, and I know, I know you're not supposed to use Wikipedia as a source for anything, and I'll link to it at the bottom of the, the show notes, but yeah, I used Wikipedia. And why Wikipedia? Because it gave me a nice table of which party was in control or which party was in power in the presidency and the Senate and the House. I was able to go back any number of years. Um, so that's what I did. And you know, look, some people say, hey, you really should only start the presidential returns on the day they take office and then the day they, they leave. And so, you know, third, third week of January into the third week in January and they're either, you know, the end of the four-year term, or the eight-year term or some other measure. And by some other measure, I mean, some presidents have left office because they've died or have resigned. And so I didn't get to that level of detail either. I didn't get that granular. Uh, for example, Nixon resigns and Ford takes office. I believe it was in August, late August uh, at some point. Uh, I think I gave Nixon credit for that year. Uh, Kennedy and Johnson, the same type of thing. Coolidge comes in for Harding, I believe. We're going back to the, you know, the 1920s. And so, look, this isn't absolutely, absolutely exact. Um, but I think it's a really good representation. And from it, what I was trying to see is there a really strong sway from, uh, from one side or the other. 
Now, the other thing that I used is, and I'll get into this in a second, I'll give you the numbers. And of course, I'll link to an article that I wrote, which has all the information, all the graphs that I pulled. Um, I'm also getting into the idea, a lot of controversy about GDP, which president had the best average annual GDP over their terms. Uh, But the way I did this was I took the average return. And I want to specify this because taking the average return or the average annual return is just a simple average. Uh, And it's different from what an investor might experience. I'll give you an example. If you had someone with a million dollars and the market went down 50%, their balance would go from a million to 500,000, right? But if the next year the market was up 50%, they would move from 500,000 to 750,000. Why? Because the 50, 000, the 50% gain was on less assets. You had a million went down to 500,000, you gained 50% you're back up to 750. This is why large losses really need to be avoided and why I'm an advocate for things like hedged equity and and protection and accounts. But the investor's still down 25%. The thing is, though, if you use a simple average, up 50% uh, or down 50%, then up 50%, the average of those returns is zero, but the investor's still down. So, just understand, that's what I looked at. I just looked at the average, the simple average of the returns over all of the, the periods. And I think what you find out, it's sort of interesting. For example, let's say we take President Obama uh, or President Clinton, certainly two presidents from their parties who are uh, widely liked and, and lauded um, and you know thought of as good, good representation of, of their party. If you take a look at Obama, his average annual return was 14.70%. Clinton was 18.06%. If you go to Reagan, now Reagan, certainly one of the the presidents that's lauded by uh, those uh, supporting the Republican Party, Reagan had a 14.53% return. And so just taking, let's say, Reagan and Obama, they were apart by only a little bit. Um, Now, Trump is incomplete. President Trump has only been in office for a year and let's call it almost, uh, you know, eight months, nine months. But if you take his time in office from the start of uh, 2017 until August 24th, his average uh, annual return is about 14.06. I didn't annualize the second year. I just took what the market was up. By the way, there are some people who might say as they're listening to this, hey, you really should take the average. Remember, I didn't do Inauguration Day. Uh, I tried to just do the work with what I had. Uh, But some people might say, look, you probably should take the market return from the the day they won election. And certainly those people, you know, might point to the market moving up higher once Trump got elected. Um, And that's certainly a, a valid way of doing it. But again, I just tried to keep it fairly simple. So you look though at the presidents and you know the quick answer is a lot of them were sort of the same. You know Eisenhower, Republican up 17%, Coolidge up 23%, FDR up 13.35%. Uh, Ford was up, you know, over 30%. And Ford brings up one of the things that I think most of you are thinking, wait a second. Doesn't being in office eight years versus being in office in four years, or in Ford's case, a little over two years, does that matter? 
Well, certainly it's, you know, one might argue it's harder to keep up a, you know, a good stock market, good economy for longer periods of time. And that's a valid thing as well. Um, but again, I just looked at the average annual return. Kennedy was plus 13.48. Johnson was plus point, uh, not point, 10.69. Now, Hoover, a Republican, he unfortunately was around during the Great Depression, and he averaged negative 21.48%. Bush was slightly negative. Nixon was slightly negative. Uh, Carter was up a little over 12%. But I think the thing when you look at all of these presidents, I, I don't believe you can view any one party in office as being substantially better than the other. In fact, during the election, I think it was Oppenheimer or somebody else ran some numbers, your your return, historical return, but what if you sold every time the Democrats took office and then bought when the Republicans, or vice versa, you sold every time the Republicans, or, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying, right? You sold when one party took office and you bought back when the other party did, well, your returns suffered. It was better just to be invested in the market over the long term. So I think when we look at the returns on the presidential side, it's, uh, it's, it's mixed. Um, but it also begs the question, if we don't think necessarily that presidents have as much to do on the short run of a market, there's some interesting things that come up. Number one is timing. You know, sometimes a president takes office at sort of the wrong time. Uh, when we look at and we think about, uh, let's say, President Clinton's term, the last year of his office was the year 2000. And the markets, the S&P was down roughly, the total return was down, uh, I think, a little over 8%. So George W. Bush gets elected. He takes office in... in you know, a market that's already trending down. You had the tech collapse. And then, of course, he has 9-11. Uh, tough time to, to take office. The market was always, you know, already going down. Uh, I don't think anybody would say he did anything necessarily to, uh, to not support the, the stock market. So it begs the question, you know, imagine if him and, let's say, Clinton were flip-flopped, right? Uh, would one have inherited the other's return? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, it seems on the surface that when you look at some of the individual returns, it doesn't necessarily seem to matter. Um, although certainly things that are really big, really big policies, uh, legislation that happens, increasing the debt and deficits, those things can have long-term effects not only on the economy, uh, but also to be determined, right? Uh, as the national debt is getting higher and if interest rates go up higher, uh, our cost of servicing the debt will also go up. But you also have to wonder how much of this is tied to a, a president and how much of it is really more tied to just economic cycles and interest rates. You know, in my opinion, uh, interest rates might be a bigger determinant, uh, and when I say interest rates, I'm talking about the Fed, of you know this sort of cycle of uh, markets that, that run higher and then markets that sort of have difficulty. Uh, one only needs to look at the, the housing situation back in 
you know, what started in the early 2000s uh, as interest rates were kept low for so long and asset prices went up, uh, we all, all know what happened with housing. So in going and, and looking at the presidents, though, I looked back to, to Coolidge. Okay, why did I go back to Coolidge? Well, I was sort of interested to just see what the returns were prior to the, the Great Depression. And, you know, Coolidge, the average, the average annual return was about 23.62%. So he had good numbers. Uh, he was in office for a while. And then, of course, Hoover comes in. You've got the, the Great Depression. It was just interesting to me because I want to, you know, sometimes the market makes a big run and, and does the next person who comes in, the market's going to take a breather. Obviously, we had the, the Great Depression. Now, some of you might say, look, you probably could have stopped at Hoover and the Republican numbers would have been worse. Um, why'd you have to go to, to Coolidge? Why not go back further? Well, the first answer is this data, the way it's arranged, and I'll link to where I got the, the market data, uh, it's much more put together on, an, on a total return annual basis back to about 1928. Prior to 1928, used a different data source, and there um, I've got monthly levels of the S&P or you know, an index uh, from back then. By the way, we think about the S&P is you know, around 2,900 right now. Looking back in you know the early 1900s, you're talking about an, a market index that was like you know four and a half at times or seven, seven and a half. So quite a bit of difference, uh, but it's a little bit more difficult going back prior to to that date. And I also had to estimate what the additive value of dividends would be to get a total return. Right, so it's not only the movement of the index, but it's also uh, what dividends contributed to the total return? Um, so those are those are in there. I will say too, if I, you know, look, if I was looking to make one side look better or worse, um, I could have gone to Woodrow Wilson, who was a Democrat, uh, not right before Coolidge, but before Harding. Harding was in office for a little bit of time. Um, his index was slightly down. Um, not including dividends. And then from about 1897 to, oh, I don't know, 1912, you had a run of three Republican presidents who the index, not including dividends, more than uh, more than doubled. It was up about 100 and, I don't know, 14% or so. So I stopped there. It's, there's, you know, I had to stop at some point. So this also begs the question, though, you know, a president can only do so much if, their party is not in power in the Senate or the House. As we know, it, it becomes a little more difficult to, to pass bills. So the other thing that I, I took a look at was I was sort of curious to see, was there a difference in the average annual return? And, and this also led me to, to kind of figure out the number of times that this happened. And so taking a look at the president, the Senate, and the House uh, going from 1923 to 2008, two, sorry, 2018, August. And just taking a look, there were some trends that were really interesting. And I was actually surprised at the number of occurrences or how little, if at all, some of these combinations. So when I say a combination, uh, Republican president, Republican Senate, Republican House, uh, that happened 15.6% of the time or 15 times out of 96. 
and the average annual return was good. Uh, it's actually the best of any setup. It was plus 16.57%. Uh, but actually, if you go to the, the Democrat side, and you had Democratic president, Democrat Senate, Democratic House, so all three, that's the greatest number of occurrences. Uh, that happened 34 times compared to 15, and that was about 35.5% of the time. Their average annual return was 13.95%, also a good return. And so when you think about out of 96 years, you're talking about 49 times that one party has kind of swept all three, uh, all three branches or all three you know, houses, Senate, House, President. And if you add up the percentages, you're talking about, you know, about 51% of the time, one party had control of everything. Now, it doesn't say how much control they had, and I'll get to that in a second. But continuing on, the other occurrence, the next one that happened the most, and this one was 22 times and 22.9% of the time, and that was a Republican president, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic House. And on this one, the average annual return, again, simple average, was 8.73%. So not as high as the other ones, but it's, it's a positive return, of course, right? And then going down the line, uh, nine times we've had a Republican president, Republican Senate, Democratic House. And so I'll start to call these RRD, right? Republican president, Republican Senate, uh, Democratic House. So as opposed to triple R, triple D, you have RRD. Uh, that was actually plus 4.47%. But there's only nine occurrences of that happening, 9.4% of the time. I expect, now, you're going to hear predictions about you know the elections coming up and, and the November elections or the midterms, meaning we're not electing a president. You're electing uh, a portion of the Senate and then, and then the House. And some people might say, well, this isn't a really good setup for the markets. But I kind of caution people. It's only happened 9.4% of the time. So not a lot of times it, it's happened. We don't know what the, the result of the election is going to be. And, and then you kind of look and you say, well, okay, only four times have we had a DDR, Democratic uh, president. And then you've got really the, the only thing Republican is the House. The return there was just under 16%, 15.92% of the time. But there's actually, there's one that's never happened and one that's only happened twice. And for this one it actually gets a little bit complicated. And so it is. Uh, it happened during George W. Bush's, uh, so GW's term, I believe it was 2001, 2002, where you had a, Bush was president, Republican, the Senate is Democratic and the House is Republican. So that's a negative 16.91% return. It only happened two times. Not a lot of, not a real big sample size. And remember when he took office, uh, he took office uh, once the tech crash was already in place. He had 9 11. So this was an interesting one because, um, and I just kind of, I gave the, uh, the Senate to the Democrats uh, for the, that period. 
But believe it or not, it was Democratic uh, from January 3rd, 01 to January 20th, 01. Remember, the the president is inaugurated, the inauguration day is after the new Congress, meaning the Senate and the House, has already been sat. And so for 17 days, President Clinton was still president, Vice President Gore was still vice president. And so you had a 50-50 tie from memory, and Gore broke the broke the tie. And then once inauguration day happens, um, and the new, you know, you've got Cheney as the as the vice president, he's breaking the tie then because it's a 50-50 split. And that lasted from January 20th, 01 until May of 01. So in theory, you had roughly four months out of those two years that you had, uh, you know, narrow, when I say narrow control, it was a 50-50 split in the Senate, but Dick Cheney, the vice president, would break any ties. And then, of course, from May 24th on, you had a Republican senator who defected to the Democrats, and then that was that. They had a a uh, one-seat, you know, deficit. So I gave that entire time to the Democrats, but it did present some complications. Uh, I didn't really have the uh, the time or the inclination to to start looking at exact points, but it just it only happened twice, which is interesting to me. And then the the other one that's never happened, we've never had a, a Democratic. Well, I shouldn't say never happened. Again, I only went back to 1923, so we're looking in 96 years. Uh, there's been no time in the last 96 years we had a Democratic president, a Republican Senate, and a Democratic House. Hasn't happened in 96 years. So you look at this and you say, all right, well, half the time, one party controls everything. The you know the other half of the time, uh, we've really you know the the, the greatest occurrences Republican with with the other Democrats. And Reagan had that. Uh, George H. Bush, um, George Bush Sr. had that. And I believe you go back to uh, oh, there's there's someone Reagan and Bush were the the main ones who who had that. So I bring all this up because there doesn't seem to be you know if if let's say you know you looked at uh, if there was anything remarkable about the number of times it happened and and very drastic results, but results are sort of the same when you have enough occurrences. And that became interesting to me. Now, the one thing that I didn't do, and maybe somebody out there who's an enterprising uh, person, would actually go back and, and figure the numbers, not necessarily by party control, but look at the level of control. And what I mean there is, you know, as we know, you probably heard in the news, uh, a filibuster, well, until... Basically, 60 votes in the Senate uh, is needed to get rid of the filibuster. And then, you know, if you want to change the Constitution, what is it, a two-thirds majority. And so presidents by themselves, this goes back to does the president themselves in the short run actually matter for markets? Is that a, a really big factor or is it more just the economy and corporations that are you know, looking to to increase their uh, their growth and revenues, their their growth and earnings, and it's it's sort of difficult for presidents to to get stuff done when they have narrow control or 
they're in control and, and, you know, the other side is, is control of the other branches becomes a little bit difficult. So to, to give you an example right now, it's, it's a, a pretty close margin in the Senate. Uh, you know, we look at some of the margins, they, they haven't been that great. Uh, back to President Obama, I think for one and a half years, he had 60 votes in the Senate. In fact, that's uh, when they did the uh, the Obamacare vote. Um, but you look back, and it was really interesting. And I, I also, I'll, I'll post a link to this because Wikipedia has a graph. I know you're going to kill me for using Wikipedia, but I found it useful, okay? Uh, Wikipedia actually drew a line not only to, to color code the parties, but they also uh, had a line that sort of showed how much the control was. And just to give you some perspective, it's pretty even right now, especially in the Senate. But in 1937 and 1938, during FDR's term, uh, he's Democratic president, uh, but it controlled both, both houses, Democratic. Uh, but not only did they control them, they had about an 80% margin in the Senate and the House. So you think, you know, they theoretically could have done anything they wanted. Although, and this is a, you know, this is probably a, you can go search for this uh, somewhere else. Um, you know, back then there were things that didn't get through, like reorganizing the the executive branch or packing the Supreme Court, meaning just adding other judges um, sympathetic to your party. Um, those things weren't able to be passed, even though he had 80% of the votes. So maybe that's something to take a look at and see whether or not the margin of control and the ability to actually get stuff passed, where that has any effect. I don't know that it does. So the other thing that you've been hearing a lot of um, with regard to presidents, not only with the current bull market, and you're going to hear about how this is a record bull market. There's some debate about when you start it, whether you start it when it makes or exceeds a previous high, or whether you actually start it from the very low of you know the last market. Uh, but one of the things we're hearing a lot of right now is the idea of GDP growth. So GDP is gross domestic product, of course. It is a measure of all finished goods in the economy made. You know, it has it's it's finished goods in the United States. We're dealing with the U.S. GDP. So there's, uh, there's been some talk about, you know, who the level of growth in past presidents and then with some of the recent ones. Now, let me clean this up for you too. When you see, so for example, one of the more recent uh, estimates of second quarter GDP and the way they release GDP is you get a first estimate, a second estimate, and then you get the final GDP. And so the... First estimate, I believe it was, uh, the last one came out a 4.1% growth. When you see 4.1%, that is an annualized number. So it's a quarterly number that then gets annualized. Essentially, you take the quarterly times four. So that's that's what they're doing there. Uh, that number also is typically seasonally adjusted. Seasonally adjusting numbers just means to take out if there's some things that happen at certain times of the year that are reoccurring, economists, when they do the numbers, they actually go and they, um, it's sort of a smoothing mechanism. But the, the numbers that I used, because I wanted to go back as far as I can, the numbers I found, and I will link to the St. Louis, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis that has a lot of 
free data that you can look at, charts and graphs, a lot of, ton of information. It's a good site. I'll link to it. Uh, but non-seasonally adjusted numbers, I was able to go back to all but the first year of Herbert Hoover. And so I'm using those. To give you an example, though, uh, 2017, the non-seasonally adjusted uh, annual growth rate in GDP was 2.2%. The seasonally adjusted is 2.5%. You know, I, I was just looking for something that I could use over the longest period of time to compare the most people. And so the idea that GDP growth means that uh, the more growth, the more the economy is is growing, the more stuff that's being uh, purchased, and it's a measure of the health of the economy. Uh, I always say this, I'll probably have to do a separate episode just on some economic numbers to kind of clear those up. Um, but, you know, look, look for that one at some point. So Trump is incomplete. Uh, Remember, we only have the, the first estimate of second quarter GDP at this point. Uh, but 2017, non-seasonally adjusted annual GDP growth rate was 2.2%. So then what I did was I looked at all the presidents that I could. Uh, I couldn't go back to Coolidge, didn't have the data. But I looked at, let's say, President Obama. He had eight years worth of GDP growth. I added up all of them, took a simple average. And so his was plus 1.6%. Um, that is the, the average, um, adding up all the eight years and dividing by eight and figuring out what the average growth rate was. Uh, GW, George Bush, was plus 2.2%. Clinton was uh, plus 3.9%. H. Bush, 24 Reagan, 3.5%. Carter, 3.3%. Um, two six for Ford, two eight for Nixon, uh, Kennedy four four, Johnson five three, and then you go to uh, two sort of interesting ones. Uh, Hoover was negative nine point three. I only had three of his four years, and FDR was plus nine point three. So uh, again, I'll post this so you can look at it. But one of the interesting things is there's been some talk about this economy, and we've never seen this type of growth before. When you look, if you use GDP as sort of the proxy for growth, it's interesting that, um, you know, so far we'll see what the final numbers are for 2018. We won't get the final numbers until, you know, March of 19 will be the final estimate for Q4 of 18. And that's when you can sort of put that in the books. Uh, but, you know, we, we haven't had, uh, including, you know, the first year, 2017, and then 16 years over Bush and Obama, uh, we haven't had an average annual non-seasonally adjusted uh, average growth rate in GDP above three. Um, hasn't been since Clinton and then prior to that uh, to Reagan who had it. So you're going to, you know, in the news, there's a lot of talk. They use sort of the, the quarterly number and then they annualize it. And then people come out and they say, well, you haven't. Uh, one president or the other hasn't averaged over 3%. It hasn't happened in a long time. Uh, it still hasn't happened since Clinton. And we'll see at the, you know, by March of 2019, uh, that will, that will sort of get updated. So anyway, this was just a, a look at, you know, some historical numbers. And I always like to say, I try and cover up the names and I just look at the, look at the results. And I think, 
you know, the good thing is it seems like there's not necessarily a drastic difference between one side or another. I would contend that when somebody takes office within the economic cycle matters, uh, I certainly would have wanted to take office in, well, if I had my druthers, March of 09, right? Because that was the absolute bottom. But at least the end of January of 09 was a better time to take office than, let's say, you know, March of 2000, uh, although Bush didn't take office till um, January of, of uh, 01. But March of 2000 is when the tech collapse started. And so sometimes it's just, it's just the bad timing. Um, there were some interesting things, and I'll wrap up with this. And again, I'll post the link to the article so you can see year by year what the, who the president was, what the makeup of the Senate of the House was, and all the numbers. But just some interesting things. And, and we've sort of gone really long stretches, especially in the House. Uh, I'll give you some, some examples. From 1955 until... Uh, through 1994, so 1955 was Democrat, 1994 was Democrat, there was not a Republican-controlled House from 55, and it didn't happen again in 19, until 1995. That is a very, that's 40 years of one-party control. In fact, if you go back to 1931, so 1931, uh, went from 1930 Republican House to 1931 Democratic House. You've actually got, you know, from 1931 until 1995, there are only one, two, three years where Republicans control the House. In the Senate, you had, you know, from 33 until 1980, the Senate was only Republican controlled uh, four times. And of course, you know, Roosevelt, FDR, he was more than two terms. So he was in office from 33 until, you know, around 44, until Truman came over, uh, you know, came on board. But you had a Democratic president from 33 to 52 coming out of the Depression. And I found that interesting because it, it does say something about the economy and that seems to to really matter as far as uh, you know who stays in office and who potentially gets elected in office. Uh, and certainly, coming off the depression, uh, the party change there there happened. But anyway, just some some interesting things. And uh, you know, that's that's quite a long time. When you look at the article and you look at the graph, the table that I created. You're going to see this and you can take a look for yourself. So with that, we'll kind of wrap it up there. Hopefully uh, this was interesting to you and gave you some perspective as we start to get into the midterm elections. And you're going to hear all sorts of uh, uh, talk about what it would mean for one party or another. Um, and again, I, I didn't look at the level of control. Maybe somebody will look at that and some enterprising person will will actually go in and pull market data from, I don't know, election day or inauguration day and, and do it to the... Uh, to the actual spot where somebody took over. So we'll be back next week. Uh, in the coming weeks, we'll be uh, hopefully having someone come in and, and talk about uh, why you need a will or a trust and, and those types of things. And we're also going to have uh, Jay Pestercelli back on to talk about what is buffered uh, strategies, buffered investments that provide a buffer uh, to the downside. And so look for those. Uh, until then, 
Uh, please do me a favor. If you like the content, share it with somebody, pass it along if you think they'd enjoy it. And uh, thanks for listening. Take care. Take care.